podcast we have a special guest tonight uh max but I'm also someone else <laughs> <laughs> yeah hey everybody it's max glad to be here thanks for listening um and on the line with us here as well we got uh well the loins which i came from my dad is on here so um he's a pastor lutheran pastor here uh, in colorado at uh, messiah lutheran church and and uh school so um, you know, we just thought it might be a little interesting to have him on and, and we wanted, uh, you know, this episode to be kind of some biblical questions that might be out there. Some people have, um, so yeah, I wanted to sort of get the perspective of a Lutheran pastor here. So dad, uh, introduce yourself. I'm a real life pastor. Yeah. <laughs> Not a real dead one. Yeah. Yeah. I am Max's dad. My name is Mike Redeker and I'm the senior pastor out here at, um, Messiah Lutheran Church with a school, and we are, uh, the brand of Lutheran is called Missouri Synod, and so um, there are three main synods, and we uh, uh, we fall in, uh, we, what, what we practice is, um, you know, conservative biblical theology and pastoral practice and different things like that. So um, I've served in Lexington, Kentucky, and I served at our seminary uh, on two different trips, so that's where I am. That's me. All right. And we always, we always catch ourselves like in our, at least in our more recent podcast, we always end up tangenting onto like Christian type stuff and God stuff. So I figured, what if Max's dad is a pastor? What if we can get him on? He knows more than we do. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and for that, I, I put together kind of a list of, of questions that we would ask him. Um, we didn't get it. I think we teased it and asked for questions at our, on our email. We didn't get any. So thanks a lot guys. But, um, <laughs> they were just so they were just anticipating what we were going to ask. They're like, they got better <laughs> questions than us anyways. <laughs> so well, the, always come in later. That's right. I can always be here again. <laughs> All right. So the one I've, I don't think I've ever asked anybody this. That's a pastor is what drove you to become a pastor? Cause yeah. Well, I will tell you this. There was no way on God's green earth I was ever going to be a pastor. And, um, uh, you know, I was your pastor as well, Lee, uh, when I was in Kentucky. But I'm what's called a second career pastor. So I was in something else before becoming a pastor. And my dad is a pastor. So Max's grandpa is a pastor. And growing up, you know, the congregation always said, oh, you know, from little on, you should be a pastor just like your dad. You should be a pastor just like your dad. And if you know pastors, kids... Uh, they're either really saintly or <laughs> saintly. And so I was a little more on the um, rubble side, and there was just no way on God's green earth I was going to be a pastor. I wanted to, uh, at that point, when I graduated from high school in 1980, you know, computer programming was just coming on the fore, and I wanted to either be a stockbroker, make a lot of money, or become a computer programmer. And that's when they were having punch cards. And... Um, you know, now you see that in the Smithsonian Museum, but not when you were going through, you had to do punch cards. Well, that didn't work out for me because of physics, but I did get into business and I really love business um, with marketing and things like that. I didn't get into stockbroking, but 
Uh, I sure did like uh, marketing because I love working with people. So I was doing that for a while. And uh, when I got married, um, you know, my wife was pretty much of the uh, um, understanding as well. I never want to be a pastor's wife. And I said, fine. So when we go to the altar and we say, I do, we're all set. We're good to go. But God is more like... um, I was more like the Jonah story. So, you know, here I need you to go to Nineveh. And he goes down to Tarshish. He falls over a boat, gets swallowed up by a big fish and gets puked out on the shore. And that's kind of like what happened to me. Only God used like lots of bricks and stuff. And so it's kind of like, okay, when I was uh, working uh, with bartending uh, at a place in Milwaukee called The Safe House, it's a James Bond spy theme stuff. I ran it, you know, I was one of the few Christians that were there and there were a lot of different questions and stuff like that, people asking. And then when I got out of college, you know, I was working with Lutheran Brotherhood as well. And some of my clients, you know, weren't really connected to their faith, but they were more connected to their portfolios and more concerned about money. And then I know this kind of sounds dumb, but um, all of a sudden, um, you know, all of a sudden I got to thinking, I went, huh, eternity lasts a long time. And it's like, duh, Redeker. And so, um, you know, I started thinking, well, you know, if I believe what the Bible says is true, which I do, well, then, you know, people are going to spend it either in hell or heaven forever. And um, a couple of years before that, I was uh, working for um, Coppertone Company, and I was up in Coon Valley, Minnesota, and I was in a little hotel room and just kind of Pulled out a um, pulled out the Gideon's Bible. They used to have Gideon's Bibles in every hotel room, and uh, started reading John nineteen on the on the crucifixion of Christ, and that really kind of hit home. So putting those things together and everything else, I thought, well, maybe you know, can I make a different kind of a difference in people's lives? And so that's when I started, you know, thinking more about and praying more about, you know, should I become a pastor or not? You know, it doesn't pay like what I was getting. That's for sure. But um, there's more to life than money. And and that, in a short way, is what drove me to become a pastor. It's because of people's eternities. Well, good answer. That's all I have. And I, yeah, like, I think a lot of the pastors I've known are, what did you call it? Second career pastors? Yep. Yeah, that's interesting. So yeah, huh? Hmm. Do you know any pastors that like wanted to be one from the beginning? Oh yeah, I know some of them, and uh, you know a lot of them. You know, there's a lot that you know from little on they knew what they wanted to do. Well, I'm not one of them, um, and it's great because God makes us all in different ways, and He uses different paths. Um, my uh, my gift for marketing and dealing with people has really helped in ministry, and God gives people all different gifts and calls them at all different times. So yeah, I do know people who are, you know, from little on, they wanted to be a pastor and that's just what they did. And there's strengths to that as well. I think the being a second career pastor is, you know, then, you know, guys get out in the real world and they, you know, they go around the block a few times and they know what it's like, you know, to uh, pay bills and, you know, do different things before going into the ministry. So you know, there's, there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of pluses to that where, you know, maybe somebody who goes straight through college and straight through the seminary and then goes straight into a church, you know, they don't know what 
what it's like to have to pay bills or to, uh, you know, um, you know, what life is like. So, but you know, there's pluses to both. Yeah. And I, and I feel like, like congregations may appreciate that more knowing like that you've been in the real world. <laughs> so yeah. you understand things. You're not just repeating what you were taught in school or something like that. So exactly. Yeah. I like that too. So our next question is, so what are some of the biggest misconceptions about Christianity that you come across? Um, I don't know if it's any different from what I come across, but I'm curious. Well, I mean, you know, uh, that we're intolerant uh, would be one, um, because Christianity of all religions is really the most tolerant. Um because Christ came to die for everyone. It's not just a few select people, but when Jesus died, he, um, you know, he died on the cross for all sins, for all people. Now then, you know, we'd be getting into different denominational differences, but, you know, the Bible teaches that he died once and for all. And so, um, you know, people say, well, you know, they're, you know, you know, Christianity is anti-gay or anti-this or so intolerant. And it's like, well, no, you just can't go blanket, you know, a whole religion on some stupid things that some people may have said. Now, with that said, you know, uh, you know, there, there are ways that the Lord wants us to live, but, you know, we're saved through faith in Jesus Christ alone, only. Okay, that's that's how salvation is won uh, or or given to us. You know, we're coming up on Christmas and, you know, uh, you know, Jesus is the greatest gift that God has given the world in history. So, um, you know, the misconceptions about Christianity that were intolerant. No, uh, maybe some of the Christians are intolerant. Now, being tolerant also doesn't mean that one accepts everything, you know, um, and that gets you know, into some other situations. But what are some things maybe, Lee or Max, that you heard about uh, misconceptions about Christianity? Well, I, I, oftentimes I hear, this is kind of tongue-in-cheek, but I actually do hear this a lot, that Christianity is like a cornerstone of like <laughs> the patriarchy and like holds <laughs> oh, women okay. down, which I, I understand where they're coming from because – there's, you know, excerpts from the Bible that say, you know, s something like, oh, you know, men are Lord, the Lord above men, men above women, women uh, ruling children. And um, there's things like that. And just some of the roles that like the women have in the Bible, a lot of times, um, you know, people think it's it, it's all like some conspiracy to prop up the patriarchy. Yeah. When in all, all reality, and I mean, not to go too much on a tangent, but like the order in the Bible is in there because that's the order that the Lord wants. And it's like, you know, which I guess could also fall into your like intolerability. A lot of people are like, well, you know, if you're a Christian, then they, I think they think like, well, you're, you won't let your wife like work and you're going to be like uh, ruling the fan household with an iron fist as a man, because you think you're empowered by it through Christianity. But it's like, no, that it's more like there's an order that the Lord preaches and not, you know, and you should try to follow it as best as you can. Not to say like you're damned if you're, you know, if your wife doesn't stay home and raise the kids, but like it just, you know, I think you could see in today's society, you know, you have family units where 
the father and the mother are working and then they just leave the kid to sort of fend for themselves or let the government fend for them. And that doesn't, that's not conducive to like a strong household and really, um, in my opinion, a a kid being, you know, raised in a, uh, I don't want to say proper way, but you know, you're, it's not the family unit and the parents values being passed down to the kid. It turns into like the government and the world's, um, views being passed on to the kids. So I think just using that knowledge and what I just said, like, that's why I think the Bible says like, okay, men should be kind of the breadwinners. Women should be sort of like tending to the household and the kids. It's not like men are saying, Oh, we're better than you. Cause we can go and we should go work because of that. It's like, no, it's just, it kind of makes sense. And if you think about it from a primitive perspective, like it is a means of survival and it's, and it's like, um, it's painted and, and basically laid out to us in the Bible. But a lot of people take that as a, as like, Oh, it's supporting the patriarchy. I, I digress, but that's long, you know, long answer, <laughs> short answer, long. Uh, that's, that's my response. But yeah, they, I would say a lot of people say it's propping up the patriarchy. Sorry. I kind of cut into well, time. So Lee, you know, and, and yeah, I don't know how long this goes for, but you know, the, um, uh, you know, that's another misconception. Like you'll get um, feminist theologians and you'll get, um, you know, liberation theology and some other thing, you know, different, different views of theology that come. And especially, you know, after Paul, a feminist and, and uh, liberal uh, churches will take a look at Paul's writings and he's got 13 epistles, 13 letters, you know, in the Bible. So he's a major figure, right? And, um, uh, you know, they will label him as, you know, um, sort of a male chauvinist pig. You know, he's so against women. But the problem is, you know, we, we take our, our 20th century glasses or our 21st century glasses right. and we, we lay them over Paul. And so now we say, you know, we take our Western, um, our Western culture in the 21st century and 20th century and say, well, Paul, see what a what, what a male chauvinist pig he is. He hates women. And the thing is, you can't do that. When you're doing, um, you know, when you're reading the Bible and interpreting it, uh, you have to do something called hermeneutics, which is interpretation. And um, uh, it's also called exegesis, which means you're interpreting the Bible. Um, and, and what you want to try to do is you want to try to get as close to sources and learn about the culture so that you can see what's going on. And, um, I, you know, I enjoy the exegetical part, it's called, of, of theology, because, you know, that means you have to dig into the history. And when you dig into history, then you're t- digging into the different cultures, and these ancient cultures are fantastic. Um, but when you actually take a look at the ancient cultures, uh, you know, some of the other religious and religions and their practices— when you start looking at that, you'll find out that Paul is anything but a male chauvinist pig because, you know, one of the misconceptions is, you know, he hates women or or this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, take a look at how he uses Genesis and he raises up, you know, it, it, it's a it's a patriarchal society. Well, okay, yeah, it was a patriarchal society, uh, you know, back then. And um, But you also have to understand that Paul is using, he's very counter-cultural. And so... You know, the ancient cultures back then um, were very much, you know, oppressing women and oppressing children. And so, you know, when he talks about, um, you know, 
women learning and women reading, but that they shouldn't read here, there, or somewhere else. I mean, he's saying, yeah, women ought to be educated. Women ought to be reading. And so, you know, where the society was saying no. Uh, so that's one of the misconceptions. Is, and, you know, when we take our our Western 21st century um, you know, postmodern views and try to lay them over Paul, that's where you're going to get all the misconceptions. You know, the other thing is, you know, like for instance, uh, I think Max, you were talking about, you know, the patriarchal system, you know, when you take a look at, I think, uh, you know, to me, I think, you know, I, you know, to me, every story is true. Uh, per, well, let me backtrack on that. But, uh, you know, the stories in the Bible are true. And also the Bible is written for, a certain people and they're written for God's people. It's not written for, you know, everybody, so to speak, but it's written for God's people. And so God's people are going to be shaped and continually shaped in a different, um, you know, worldview. It's going to be a biblical worldview. So it's a constant sort of growing. So going back to Genesis, Genesis chapter two, when he creates Adam and Eve, he created Adam first out of the dirt and then Eve out of his rib. And I believe that to be true. Um, the uh, And this was before what's called the fall into sin, when they disobeyed God. That was the order God had set up. So who are we to question that order? Uh, it got all fouled up, you know, after they disobeyed God. Um, and then the powers of sin came into the world. But, uh, you know, that's you know, that's not God's fault. That's our fault. And so now we make ourselves little gods and, um, you know, we come up with all kinds of weird things, but God's order is a good order. Uh, th does that mean then that women shouldn't work in the workforce or be CEOs? No, because that's not what the Bible is saying. It's just saying in the, in, in the spiritual realm and in spiritual, you know, uh, the male ought to be the spiritual head of the family. That's a long answer to a short question. <laughs> right and there's I, I had some things i wanted to ask and bounce off of that but lee i'll let you uh, i'll <laughs> i'm gonna pass it to you because i know you have so, you want to say something and also if you had any i just like what you said about the, the bible was written for god's people and that's a really good point because the people that i see you've got a lot of tiktok theologian these days yeah <laughs> they pick up a bible and they just they say oh see here see i figured it out this is what it means but it's yeah they're trying to they're looking at through like man's lens i guess yep versus god's lens and that's yeah you're gonna see a, a lot of different things and a lot of things that offend you when you look through it from man's view so sure yeah i like that <clears throat> And Lee, and I don't know. Well, I know my dad that opens it up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I know. Well, my, I was just going to leave it kind of open to see if you had any, you know, misconceptions that you saw Lee. Cause I, I know I took up a lot of time. So I think the, the two main ones, one is just, they always associate um, like Christianity based on how they see certain Christians behave. Like, and, and I try to explain to them, it's like, yes, there are Christians that are awful people that claim to be Christians that are awful people, but it's not, they're not following what God says. So that's what you need to be looking at, like to determine like, oh, this religion's for me or it's not for me. Like you can't look at the, the Christian individuals because they're man and they're always going to fall at some point. Mm -hmm. um, well, 
and, and, and the other thing too, you know, um, is when you take a look, like, for instance, I think it's in first Corinthians 10, no five verse 10 or 12 or right in there somewhere. Um, you know, let me look that up real quick, but you know, he talks about judging and see there, there, there's another thing too, where people go, you know, Oh, you know, you're so judgmental and, um, here, let me, uh, let me look this up. Well, let me find. Well, and while you're looking at that up, I just did. I did have some commentary, kind of backtracking a little bit what we were talking about. Um, you know, a lot of people see Christianity as misogynistic, and I, I don't know if this is like quest, a question or it is kind of commentary on what you were saying, Dad or Mike, whatever. I don't know what I should call yeah, you this podcast, but but um, you know, I, I, to your point about like it's not saying like women shouldn't work and men need to be the spiritual leader. Yeah, okay, I, I understand that. Like you know, women should be able to work and definitely, you know, I think men should be the spiritual leader, but also kind of taking a step further. And I'd be curious what your thoughts are on this. It's like, yes. Okay. Women, women should be able to work. I'm not saying they shouldn't, but like if they want kids and then they have kids and there's a family, in my opinion, like if they leave the house to go to work and, and kind of leave their kids out to school, now this is controversial. I don't have kids. You both had kids. So, I mean, I'm sure you have a way better perspective of this, but like if you send a kid, you know, I don't know if the if 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 the wife is and mother of the children is like, well, I need to go, you know, be equal to men and work and work and put on the pants so I can bring home some money. Uh, you know, they're ultimately in a way sacrificing, you know, attention to the kid and like instilling values in that kid. They're leaving it up to essentially the world to teach them. Yeah. Well, and you bring up a good point there too because you know I'm old enough where. You know, I was born in 62 and I remember, you know, going through the 70s and stuff like that. And especially the 80s where with uh, um, some of the more left feminists, you know, they were saying, well, you know, we women can be super moms and work. And so they were going through, you know, the late 70s, especially the 80s going, we can do it all. And to a point, I see where, yes, you can work and there's nothing that should keep you from climbing a corporate ladder or doing what you want. But they came through and did, you know, they were trying to do it all to be the moms and also working. And so you're having two full-time 24-hour careers. And you can't do that because you only got 24 hours and not 48. And uh, a lot then what happened was, what came out of that was called the latchkey kids. And so the latchkey kids were the ones where, okay, there's no parent at home. And now the kid ends up raising himself. And, and you came up with this sort of uh, mantra back then where, and it still kind of maybe even comes out now today as well, you know, where, you know, it was spending time with your kids is really important. Well, then all of a sudden they said, well, it's not, the quantity of time, but the quality of time. And so now there was all of a sudden, you know, a shift in, um, in language on how do we raise our kids sort of to minimize maybe some guilt that I'm not with my kid, my, my kids all the time, but you know, all it really counts is the quality of time. Well, no, it's really time. Right. right. And you know, we're, we're, you know, God, God, I don't care what anybody says, you know, God created male and female and he gives complementary characteristics right. 
to a male and a female. And mothers just have a mothering characteristic about them that dads don't have. And God set it up that way. And when we start tinkering with that, you know, there can be some issues. And so, you know, uh, in the 70s and, and going then into the 80s, more women were entering into the workforce. That's great. I, I'm not against that. But when you start trying to do everything and then you know, it, nobody can do everything. Well, and now it's at a point I would say, you know, cause it's obviously what you're saying is, uh, you know, uh, it's true. Women started entering the workforce and then, you know, ultimately, you know, it's become a right and whatnot. And, and I think out of that, and, and I don't know, maybe this is my own opinion. I'm not trying to, you know, speak on the Bible's behalf, but I would argue like what we're seeing today kind of moving out of the natural order of things and being progressive, it's led to like, women almost being shamed out of having kids like it's looked down upon now I, and i don't know if you guys see that too it might just be because i'm younger but like i see i've seen a mentality in almost all women my age where it's like shameful to have a kid and like the idea of having a kid they're like appalled by but it's like well that's like your body was designed to have a kid it's it's natural and you're almost like dismissing a natural like phenomenon and order that they were created for. Um, so I don't know, just taking that whole idea a step further. It's like, you know, now that we've broken the God given order of man, woman, kids, like women are trying to wear the pants and be equal. And they're now turning into like just vicious, <laughs> in my opinion, vicious beings who are like, I would never have a kid. I'll kill the kid before I can have a, uh, you know, before I quit my job. And it's like, they almost see it's like, it's like a shame to, have a kid and give up your job. But I, I digress. I mean, we're, we're all, we've been well, on this conversation. Well, a while, you're, but... you're not really digressing, Max, because. No, I'm saying know, I digress as in like, I'm kind of done talking about it, but yeah, keep oh, going if you want, if you well, want. Yeah. I, you know, and, and part of that too, then is you, you have to ask what's influencing those people, you know, or, or those views, I should say, because, you know, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, well, there's so much, you know, that would need to be unraveled. But the, you know, one of the things is you got to ask, you know, we got seven kids. So there, there are some people who look at us and just go, well, you're breeders, you know, you shouldn't be around, you know, why are, you know, you should never have that many kids. And it kind of falls into maybe Max, what you're saying, where there's some people saying, you, know, you shouldn't have any kids or just have one or two. Well, then you got to ask them why, because now are you getting into, you know, a worldview of uh, depopulation are you getting into a worldview of humanity is being brought down to that dollars, you know, animals, you know, uh, is it's being brought down to dollars and money. I think, you know, is it, is it, is it an economic thing? Is it right. a you know, socioeconomic thing? Is it a, um, is it an environmental thing with, uh, global warming and things because there's extra footprints for each child. So there's a lot that you'd have to just sort of, you, right. you just can't blanketly say, you know, uh, answer it one way or the other. You, you got to kind of ask them, what do you mean and why? Okay. I see. Which honestly, this kind of shifts well into another question. I know dad, you were trying to bring up, I think Corinthians five, but I guess it segues well into the idea of like, should the church, uh, what's that question Lee? Should the church conform to culture or yeah, should it same? be adapting to the changing culture or should church always be the same? The church being the same will always be countercultural. It's always been countercultural. 
even going back to uh, you know what's called the Old Testament or the First Testament, uh, the Hebrew Scriptures, when, um, God's people have always been counter-cultural. And what I mean by that is even going back to when God called Abraham, Abraham was a, came out of a pagan religion, and he calls him out. And he calls him out of the land of Ur, and he says, come follow me. I'm going to make a promise to you. Your uh, descendants will be as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sands on the seashore. So Abraham, who is a Gentile, follows this God called Yahweh. And, you know, and he's following him. He leaves his family gods behind. Well, there's countercultural. Um, you know, why, why, you know, leaving your family gods and religions uh, is countercultural because so much was tied up, you know, in that, that, gee, you're abandoning these things. Yep. And so I'm not, now following this one God called Yahweh. And so he follows Yahweh and um, God makes promises to Abraham and he fulfills these promises because Yahweh always, when he makes promises, will keep them. That's why we can trust this God, even when things are so bizarre and it doesn't seem right, but we follow him. And so then as uh, his people grew, you know, they ended up, uh, you know, with a couple, you know, million people in Egypt, and then they were enslaved uh, in Egypt under Pharaoh. And, uh, you know, they cried out for 430 years, send us a deliverer. God, where are you? Where are you? So he sends the deliverer, Moses. And so Moses, uh, who was raised, you know, by Pharaoh and in Pharaoh's um in Pharaoh's family, um, you know, he knows the ins and outs of these things. God uses Moses to deliver this 100, you know, this, you know, one and a half or two million people out. And so now they're wandering through this wilderness that's called the Exodus. And they wander around for 40 years because they disobeyed God. But God made a promise to Abraham, I'm going to get you to the promised land. So here's where I'm going with this. The promised land was Canaan. And on the 40-year wanderings, you know, right in the beginning, like about, um, you know, you know, three or six months into this journey after Exodus, uh, after, after they came out, uh, he's at Mount Sinai and he gives Moses, um, you know, the Ten Commandments. Well, why did he give him the Ten Commandments? You know, well, part of the Ten Commandments was, or a big chunk of it was, this is how I want you to live. I delivered you. You're my people, and so here are the standards. Here are the ways I want you to live. Because when you get into the promised land, I want you to be the reflection of my will to all people. I want you to be that light. And so, you know, don't have any other gods except for me. Because when you get into Cana and into the promised land, there's going to be multiple religions, and there's only one. Don't misuse my name. Worship me and me alone. Respect and honor your parents. You know, don't kill. And because, you know, in these pagan religions, <coughs> you know, a lot of them were, you know, had child sacrifices. So you take your child and you slaughter the child or burn the child alive as part of your religious practice. Um, you know, uh, you know, the next commandment is also, you know, uh, on sexual purity, because a lot of these pagan religions had temple prostitutes, you know, male and female ones that, you know, if 
you go to you, you go to this temple, you worship, you have sex with this prostitute, so that it would appease that particular god to maybe uh, bring about rain for the crops and fertility. So really, these commandments, uh, you know, should the church always be the same? Yes, it should, because it's countercultural, but it also shows the light of God in this darkness. We should not be adapting to a changing culture. However, you know, God's word never changes but we need to apply it to a changing world. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, that's a good, I like that, yeah. And I think that's, I always try to say like the, the Bible was written in a way that is relevant in all cultures and all time periods. Like yeah. that's just, it's, that's what's so special about it. You betcha. And, it, and it's like, it, it's like culture's changing so much, but it's really not. <laughs> Like well, it, yeah, it it's really the same is. stuff all the, the time. All just, just a different name, <laughs> yeah. Well, be, because with all the different like gender identities and stuff going on right now, I mean, that stuff's been going on forever. Yeah, yeah. There's I mean, always been eunuchs. In, you know, there's always been yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, you read about it in Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, uh, the men were coming because they want to have sexual relations with uh, you know the visiting men that were there. Some people try to change that around. And make it like it's not so, but no, that's what it is. You know, I mean, it's just so relevant today. It really is. The Bible is never irrelevant. There's nothing new under the sun. You betcha. Ecclesiastes. All right. Let's. So why I get this, I got asked this question and I just didn't have a good answer. Like a good clean answer. But why are some books left out of the Bible? Are they all false or are some of them sort of true or what? What's the deal with it? Well, what's the deal? That's a great question. There's something called the canon, C-A-N-O-N. And the word canon means a collection of writings or things like that. And this canon so just fires books out of it. <laughs> Boom. You know, kaboom. Um, it's not that kind of canon. So, um, you know, a canon, you know, like Shakespeare has a canon. Edgar Allan Poe has a canon. It's a collection of their works, right? And so scripture also has a canon. There's a collection of works. Now, there's a whole, it's a whole science on this as well. Excuse me as well. But to keep it simple and short, um, how do we know these things are true and why are some other ones left out? Um you, you take a look at the 12 apostles and there were 12 apostles and one of them was John. John wrote the gospel of John, the three uh, letters or epistles, first, second, and third John. And he also received the revelation and wrote down the revelation. Each of these apostles um, suffered or died on account of their Christian faith. And uh, they were persecuted and things like that. The last one, God allowed John to live an old life. He died, oh, I think he died at like about 100 years old. So, you know, it was a late first century. But his suffering was he was exiled to a vacation spot called Patmos. And I say that tongue in cheek because it was where they threw all the criminals it was 25 miles swim uh, to the shore to get to the mainland. You know, it was just a big rock with not much on there but criminals. And so he was exiled there for quite some time. 
And why I bring that up is because God allowed him to remain alive. And anybody who would receive some of these letters or writings from various people could actually run it past John and say, okay, John, you were literally taught by and you know learned at the feet of Jesus. Is this true or not? And he could say, yes, this is true, or no, it is not. So for instance, um, you know, you get this like Gospel of Thomas, or you get the Gospel of Moses, or you get some of these other writings. Um, you know, you get some of these other writings. I don't know, is it in the Gospel of Thomas where it says that Jesus was married? Well, you know, Jesus never got married. He remained celibate and he was single. Okay. Um, so if something like that comes across, John would say, absolutely not. He never got married. Well, what happens then when John dies? Who's there left to run it past? See, there's no one left who's the authority. And that's why a lot of these books are kept out. Uh, there's something called the Apocrypha or the Apocryphal books. So you have like uh, Ben the Dragon in there. You have uh, the Book of Wisdom. I think you got Enoch in there, you know, first and second Enoch, and you got some of these other ones. And Martin Luther said, these are great books to read and edify, but... They can't be included in scripture because there was nobody to run them past. Do you see where I'm going with that? Yeah. So we can't uh, stake our faith in the apocryphal books. Now, like the Roman Catholic Church does include the apocryphal books in their Bible. But most of the Protestant ones don't. So are some of the books like... like are, are they true? Is some of the content in them true? I mean, for instance, like Enoch, I know is a that's the one I know the pretty much the only one that's out of canon, I guess, that I somewhat know about. And I know they bring up, you know, they mention like Nephilim. And I think from what I understand, it's sort of the idea that like angels and demons came down and in intermingled with humans on a physical level. And um, may have even like passed down some knowledge and technology is the idea, which to me, I mean, I'm not going to count that out, but like why? So is like some of that kind of true because the Nephilim are mentioned in the Bible. Yeah, there's two verses where the Nephilim are mentioned. And um, but let's go let's go back a little bit further to part of your question. Yeah, like you know, is the content true or is it just well, all like, kind of like, like fairy versus, tales? Versus well, like for instance, first and second Maccabees, you're learning about the Maccabean revolt and you're learning about this time between Malachi, which was the last sort of Old Testament prophet. And it helps fill in some history of the 200 years from Malachi to the birth of Jesus. So, you know, the Mac, you know, first and second Maccabees is great to find out about, you know, the Maccabeans. Um, what was going on, the Maccabean revolt. Historical content sort of thing. And his, the history. And, and see, that's where you get like Hanukkah from, where, you know, uh, I can't remember how long Hanukkah runs, but it started and, you know, it's just before Christmas. Well, that's the Festival of Lights. What's the Festival of Lights? Well, you find it in the Maccabees, you know, in, in, in Maccabees. So you can use this to fill out things and learn some historical stuff, but you can't use it as, you know, 
scripture where you're going to base your faith on. And so, you know, you're bringing up Enoch um, and the Nephilim. Well, you can't base it on that because, you know, there's really not that much known about the Nephilim. There, there just isn't. All kinds of conjectures, but you can't really, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of neat to, you know, learn about them or, you know, maybe wonder about them. But, you know, there's only two verses that have the Nephilim in. It's um, Genesis 6, verse 4, I believe. And then, um, oh, what's the other one? It's in Numbers, I believe. Just a second. Let me look that up. Yeah, I got asked this question and we're just like, you know, what's up with those? And my kind of answer was just like the ones that are in the Bible, like we are very confident that these are these are correct. They've been verified multiple sources. And now I had not heard that thing about John verifying things. So that's interesting. So that that makes sense that all of that is what we're very confident in that was included. And then like other things, I kind of said, like, this is stuff. If it goes against what's in the Bible we have, obviously, it's just throw it out. But like some of them, it's like, you know, take it with a grain of salt kind of thing. Like read it. And it's like, hmm, it's interesting. Like, you know, reading Enoch, it's like it it, it fits. And there's nothing like that's counter to the Bible. But, you know, it's just, you know, I don't know. I don't know for sure. Yeah, that's kind of how I look at it. Yeah. I mean, we could do something on that as well, because, you know, there, there's, you know, how can you be certain that scripture is true? Well, you know, they didn't have copy machines or diddle machines or anything back then, you know? And so there's a whole thing on copying and, and the, um, you know, uh, how, how they were certain, you know, that if there was a mistake when the, I mean, there's a whole science to that and the Dead Sea Scrolls, when they were found in the forties, I mean, verified all kinds of things. It just opened up a whole, you know, uh, a whole new sort of vista of, of certainty for the scriptures. And then there's all kinds of archeology span as well. So, I mean, that's, that's a lot of fun to take a look at that, but the Nephilim, you know, there's only two verses in scripture that mention the Nephilim. And so we can't go sort of off in this, you know, twilight zone type stuff or outer limits um, you know, you can speculate on that, um, you know, with, with the Nephilim and I, you know, I, I've did just a little bit of research on this, but, you know, in, in ancient religions, you know, you had the gods and then you had these demigods and these demigods are half human and half God, Right. That was, that's the mythology. And so I think Pan is a demigod. Um, I think Echo is a demigod. Um, and, and some of these other ones are. Um, with the Nephilim, you know, they're saying, well, these angelic beings, you know, these are the sons of God who came down to uh, have sex with the daughters of man. Um, you know, so, you know, what is this all about? You know, are these demigods then, um, you know, uh, of mythology? Scripture really doesn't say much about that. But, you know, and I think what people try to do is they try to pull in Greek or Mesopotamian or Babylonian, you know, mythology into this. And, you know, we really can't do that 
But with the Nephilim, for instance, you know, because there's only two verses in Scripture. Like I said, it's Genesis uh, 6, verse 4, and Numbers uh, 13.23 or something like that. Um, what Scripture does say is that these, these Nephilim were really large. Well, um, you know, the Israelites spies, when they came in, they saw these Nephilim who were so tall that they seemed as small as grasshoppers. Uh, when you take a look at the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is called the Septuagint, sometimes you'll see it abbreviated with capital letters LXX. That's the, um, the Greek version of the Hebrew scriptures. And then there's the Vulgate. And that's where the Catholic scriptures come from. Uh, a translation, I don't have time to get into that. But in the Vulgate, uh, they translate that term Nephilim as, uh, in Latin, it's a Latin one, gigantes, which is where we get the words giant from. And so um, you, you take a look at the Nephilim, and, and really all we can say is by tracing that from the Hebrew to the Latin, you know, they are giants. We, we really can't start getting into angel marriages and things like that. And then you get into the stuff with the technology and outer space and, you know, aliens coming in. You know, we just got to go, no, this is what we have. This is what we know. They're giant. They were big. Um, that word Nephilim and giant can also mean that they were very big warriors and very good at fighting, you know, and, and so that could fit as well. Um. It's it's one of those things where, you know, it's fun to look at and take, you know, but we can't really get caught up on angelic intercourse uh, with the evil angels and stuff like that with humans. Because the other thing is, you know, when you take a look at Genesis, uh, God made everything according to its kind, right? Which means species. And so, you, you know, even if you want to go that far, you can't say that species of angels which is a created thing, right? It's part of creation, has intercourse with humanity because the, the, the kinds don't fit. The species don't work. Does that make sense? Yes. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Be like trying to breed like a turtle and a rabbit. It, it doesn't work. Right. Like physiologically, it's impossible. <clears throat> right. Like Biologically just, and physiologically, yeah. it's impossible. There's just nothing else to support that idea. So mm -hmm. <laughs> at least so it's but yeah, but it's always like, you know, I, I've seen him discuss what does the, the sons of God mean? And then it's like some say angels and then some also just say, no, it's just another word for man. <laughs> like well, Christians, and, and, yeah. And for instance, here, you know, going back to the Apocrypha, which is not included in scripture, there's also something called the pseudepigrapha. Pseudo means uh, hidden um, writings or false writings, something like that. And, you know, there, you know, there, there are, you know, there are writings like from the Apocrypha and Pseudepigrapha where, you know, Nephilim are mentioned and the Nephilim are referred to there as giants. And it's usually in reference to their pride and their wickedness. And, you know, um, you know, the fullest development of, uh, these Nephilim appear in First Enoch 6 through 19. And then there's some allusions to them in the Dead Sea Scrolls.
I think it just drives people nuts that they can't know the answer. <laughs> yeah, well, that's so like I'm so like I don't know. I always feel like there's so much more that like if only Genesis could have been a lot longer. <laughs> well, the 50 chapters is plenty long and God <laughs> all that we need to know, Lee. You know, it is probably better that way. And that's right. That's why it is. <laughs> and, and, and as I mentioned, you know, we can't make the Bible into a science textbook because it's not. It was written for God's people. So when and, you say that, doesn't, I mean, aren't all people God's people? Well, it's for his believing people. The people that accept believing, faith. Okay. For his, right. Because scripture is kind of like, you know, um, you know, here we are coming up on Christmas and what's Christmas all about? And um, getting a new PS5. Right. I know. I know. I know. It's, <laughs> it's getting all the gifts, right? But the real gift is God's gift in Jesus. And, you know, what is that all about? Well, this is where Christianity is different from every other and any other religion because God actually lowers himself and condescends himself to come to earth. And, um, you know, there's a big churchy word called, called incarnation, incarnation. And a lot of people don't understand what that is. You know, it's not a breakfast drink. That's carnation, but it comes from a Latin term. Um, in is the prefix in Latin meaning to put on and carna is Latin for flesh. And so when you put those two together, incarnation means to put on flesh. And so God condescends and he comes and the God of the Old Testament is the same God then who enfleshes himself and he is born through the Virgin Mary. Well, he's still 100% God but he's also 100% man. And that also is, you know, he's not some like some sort of centaur where he's half human and half horse, you know, but he's 100% human and 100% God. And, and you know, uh, where am I going with that? Well, you know, this is the God of the Bible. And, you know, uh, he lives the perfect life in our place because nobody in humanity can. He pays the price for our sins and redeems us. He buys us back from the kingdom of darkness, and he rises on Easter morning, and he ushers in this new age of eternal life. And so anybody who follows this Jesus, or in the Old Testament, whoever followed in the promises of Yahweh, that's to whom the Bible is written. It's not written to others who remain in pagan religions or outside of this Yahweh, Yahwistic religion. Am I making sense? Yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> right, Am I getting too heady? No. No. Okay. It's just, a, it's Not a good us, answer yeah. and I have no comments. It's like, okay, yep, that's correct. <laughs> I have nothing to add. And that's why you're here. Okay. <laughs> um, let's see. Glance through some of my questions here. Uh, are demonic possessions real? Yes. Oh man, that's scary. <laughs> have you, know, you ever demons uh, walk around? Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Well, you know, with you, you know, we have demonic possessions and exorcisms and stuff like that. Um, with the, uh, you know, you can't read the Bible and then close it off with, you know, Western 
20, you know, 21st century reasoning saying, oh, I'm a Christian, I believe the Bible, and then discount or reject demonic possessions because it's in there. You've got Jesus who heals the demoniac man, right? And the boy. And you get, you know, if it happened back then, which is a rhetorical if, so since it happened back then, what's to say it doesn't happen now? See, we can't we can't say, oh, I believe in Jesus and these things happened 2,000 years ago, but now they don't believe it. You know, now I'm not going to believe it because certainly we're much smarter and more advanced. No, we aren't, you know, and in and that's why, you know, um, there's something called creedal churches. Creedal churches would be the uh, Roman Catholic Church, uh, uh, some Protestant churches like, uh, you know, the Lutheran Church. We have three creeds, three main ancient creeds of the church, the Apostles Creed, the Nicene Creed and the Athanasian Creed. And so these are statements of belief that that were hammered out by the early church fathers going through different heresies that had crept in. And so the Nicene Creed says, you know, I believe in God, uh, the Father. Uh, I believe in God, the Father who made um, uh, heavens and the earth, who made everything visible and invisible. Well, what's the invisible? See, it's the, the spiritual, spiritual realm. realm. And so, you know, you, we, we have this spiritual realm that exists with the mundane, you know, the, the everyday earthly material realm. And so, you know, Jesus, you know, tells a parable about uh, a man who, uh, you know, uh, swept his house clean. And then um, all of a sudden, you know, it was possessed by even more, uh, you know, and worse <laughs> demons. Am I making any sense? You know, yeah. So, I mean, you know, there are demonic possessions and um, and even, you know, buildings and, you know, things like that. Could it be possible that, for instance, <clears throat> like um, a demon materializes as a person and just walks around for like forever? And so, like, for instance, just to kind of, I guess, solidify the question, for example, like, hypothetically i could have you know met someone in first grade they're like my best friend i go up through life talking to them hanging out with them but it turns out the whole time they're a demon is that possible i wouldn't go that far but you know because you're you're having interaction and, and probably that wasn't the whole point of a demon to like deceive people so well demons deceive and you know satan is called the you know the father of all lies and um you know, also in the book of Hebrews, in the letter to the Hebrews, you know, it says, it, it talks about the Christian and, you know, our behavior. And it says, you know, because you may, you, you may be entertaining an angel unawares. Yeah. Um, I've talked to a couple of people, like in Chicago on my vicarage and stuff like that, where, you know, they have talked with somebody, there was nobody else on the street. And, you know, they left. They turned around and the person was gone. We have this in, um, well, like, for instance, Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, where, you know, the three angels, including the angel of the Lord, which is the pre-incarnate Christ. But, you know, these angels came down in the appearance of, of men, human beings. And so we, you know, uh, they can take on different forms, um, but... You know, with with possessions and things like that, um, you know, that's going to be the evil 
you know, that's going to be demonic stuff. Um, you know, the, you know, the movie from the seventies, the exorcist is based on a true story. In fact, you know, it's based on a story in St. Louis of a 14 year old Lutheran boy who, uh, uh, was possessed. Now his head wasn't spinning around puking out green stuff. You know, that's Hollywood. But um, yeah, I mean, these things happen. And I know some of the professors who started working with him on that, most of them are dead now. And that's one thing I always kind of feel like um, churches nowadays tend to become more materialistic and they uh, they almost completely ignore the spiritual side of things, maybe not intentionally, but just kind of like, Oh, that might scare some people out of the church. Let's not talk about, you know, that kind of stuff. I rarely hear it in at least the churches I go to at the moment. Well, I preach them, you know, I, I, I believe the Bible is true from beginning to end. And, um, you know, that's where I stand because, you know, this stuff is real. And when we start tinkering around with stuff, you know, um, then then why should anybody who isn't a, uh, you know, a Christ follower follow Christ? They can just follow the world, which is what they're doing already. That goes back to one of the other things we've talked about. You know, should the should the church be changing with the culture? No. We minister to the culture, but we don't change. So. In the same vein, um, this is just a random question. The the miracles that the apostles performed through the using the Holy Spirit was that unique to them, or does that still occur today? That's unique to them because if you notice, um, when you start taking a look at the Book of Acts, that's the history of the church once Jesus ascended into heaven. And he said, you know, in the gospel of John, he said, you know, basically I've got a vamoose because uh, otherwise, you know, you won't be able to do everything. You know, you'll be able to do much more. So when Jesus gives his spirit, which is the Holy Spirit to the church, now there's all kinds of stuff happening. Uh, in the, you know, in, in the book of Acts, that's the beginning of the Christian church. Um, they, you know, the apostles and the disciples are doing things in the name of Jesus. Well, you know, they're doing the healing, they're raising the dead, they're doing everything, but they're doing it in the name of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. They needed to do these things because they're showing, yeah, this Jesus is real. You know, this one whom you killed and crucified, you know, not long ago. Yes, this is the uh, very same Jesus. Now, does that mean that it can't happen now? Well, I'm not saying it can't happen. Um, but, you know, when you take a look at some of these charlatans, um, 
you know, like for instance, when I lived in Kentucky, <laughs> that's where the Christian church started. Because I talked to some people there. I'm a Christian. I belong to the Christian church. I, I said, oh, you know, that's great. So do I, you know. And and you know, he told me it started in some tent revival in in the 1800s. And I said, well, gee, I thought it started 2,000 years ago in Calvary. You know, oh yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, whenever you hear a but, then you go forget it. You know. <laughs> but you know, why do why do some of these uh, you know, denominations, Christians, like for instance, want to do snake handling. I think that's stupid. That's sick. you know, why are you tempting? Because <laughs> that's dope. I didn't you know, know that was a thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, you know, when I was a pastor in Kentucky in Lexington, you know, I read about you know some of these snake handlers and they're dying. You know, don't tempt God. <laughs> you, know, you, know. you know, these are poisonous snakes. You pick them up, you get bitten, you die. You know, don't be stupid and say, oh, well, it says in the Bible, if you're a believer, I can pick up these snakes and handle these snakes. Fine. That was back then. It's 2,000 years later now. Use your head. I had a professor that said, God gave you a brain. Use it. Right? <laughs> and so, you know, can can some of these miracles happen? Sure. We can't limit or box in God. But then when some of these things maybe occur, you got to ask yourself this very important question. It's just like the Berean Christians did in the book of Acts. Here's Paul, he's preaching, and they check that out in scripture. Now, these people who are claiming miracles or things like that, where is it pointing to? If it points to Christ crucified alone on the cross and resurrected, then you can start a discussion. If it points away from Christ crucified and resurrected, you leave it alone. It's false for so sure. So why? So why? And I know at this point we're kind of asking questions off the cuff, and we haven't even gotten to a full list. But you know, I think it's good. It's flowing. Uh, the conversation is going. So I was, why is it that like we don't see direct like acts or miracles of God today, like they did back in the day? Like I understand he's dead and he went, you know, flew up to the pearly gates, but. So he's not like present on earth anymore in physical form, but like why it, but it just yeah. seems like back then it would have been easier to like believe because he showed it. And I, not to say that that's what faith is, is like, Oh, I have to see it to believe it. Like that's the whole point of faith is to believe it without seeing it. But back in the day when he was around, it's just like, and I know like in the same token, he performed miracles and people still didn't believe in him. But right. like it seems like it would have been easier if like you could see it happen and then like, oh, OK, well, yeah, obviously that's power right there. And like no one's ever shown me that before. So, yeah, now I believe. But like I guess my question and I'm not saying that's why you shouldn't base your faith off of sight. But what I'm saying is like why it just seemingly there's not like miracles happening every day on the street like it used to be. Why? Why is that? If if you don't have an answer, that's totally valid. But could it? Go ahead. Could it be that, like, I think a lot of times the miracles that Jesus performed, he would always say that because of your faith, you're healed. Like, he wasn't just throwing out miracles just to random people just because. He was throwing it out to the faithful people. And that he wasn't just, it wasn't like going around doing a, a traveling circus show or anything so like if you bring them in you know in the modern age here they're just like I don't so know. maybe we all nobody would have faith in the miracles so like it's it's it wouldn't be any 
and possibly right. there could be miracles happening and we're just so like petty we don't even recognize it i don't know but well you know and and that's a big question too i mean you know uh those are good observations to unpack you know um there are uh cultures that aren't quote unquote as advanced as ours and so we always need proof there's all kinds of you know there might be different miracles that happen in uh countries that are you know, more tribal, for instance, that are Christian. I, you know, mm. it, it's hard to say. Yeah, like rain coming don't... down, like a dry season or something. Like, well, I guess yeah, that, and, and you know, these are these are little miracles that you know, <clears throat> excuse me, that that happen. You know, because God is in charge. Um, you know, you you mentioned that you know Jesus isn't physically present here anymore. Well, no, he is. It's called the church because the Bible says, you know. The church is the body of Christ. And so Christ is the head. So yeah, he is present through his church, which is made up of individual Christians. And so where am I going with that? You know, do miracles happen? Yeah, but we may not always see them as a miracle. For instance, anytime somebody comes to faith, that's a miracle. Mm, okay. People want, you know, people want. Uh, they want to see like a wall of fire. Yeah, go up you know, out of nowhere and it's like elijah we want to see this you know fire come down or we want to see this that and the other thing and and then that goes back to the one of the parables that jesus said about the rich man and lazarus where uh the rich man you know ended up in sheol and uh he said oh you know can you can you dip your finger and relieve me no 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 you know i don't want my brothers to uh you know, uh, to go through the very same thing, you know, that I'm going through. Can, can you, you know, can you raise somebody up or do something like that? And he goes, they have Moses and the prophets, meaning he's got, they got the Bible. If they don't believe them, why are they going to believe a miracle? That's a good and point. So, yeah, Cause I think observation, basing opinions and belief on observation can be like petty, you know? Right. Exactly. Because it can be fleeting. Right. Everybody's going to pick it apart and analyze it. Now, why did Jesus do these miracles? Was he a circus sideshow? No. But see, what, what Jesus did in his earthly ministry with these miracles was, A, he had compassion on these people. So he healed them, but he didn't heal everybody, right? He healed blind and he healed the deaf. He healed the woman who was uh, hemorrhaging for 12 years. You know, he raised, uh, you know, a, a widow's uh, son, and he raised another girl, and he raised, you know, Lazarus from the dead. Well, how come he didn't raise everybody? How come he didn't heal everybody? And his earthly ministry points to what it will be like when he returns in eternal life. So here, you know, the deaf will hear. On that last day, all the deaf will hear. You know, the blind see. On that last day, all the blind will see. All the lame will walk. See, he's pointing forward to what the kingdom of heaven will be like. And he is also the embodiment of the kingdom of heaven because that's uh, the kingdom of heaven is not a place or a location. The kingdom of heaven is an authority and a rule or a reign. So he brings in, he ushers in the reign of heaven into our broken world. And so that's what he's doing. And those are those miracles. He's walking on water. Okay, why is it to be a sideshow? No, but it's showing that I am the God of creation. So I rule even over creation and gravitational pull and all the laws of nature, quote unquote, I created them. So I'm above them. 
Mm-hmm. Um, am I making any sense? Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, it's not. Maybe I feel like people may, maybe think Jesus did miracles so people believed him. And it's like well, no, it's kind of the opposite. It's like they believed him, and that's why he healed them. Well, he and also, then I mean, maybe it has. I guess uh, well, no, may but, have an impact on the the spectators, but well, he also did heal to show that he is God. That there's something different about this guy named Jesus, you know, that's walking around. So it's it's not you know. It, he he's doing the miracles for, you know, a couple of different reasons. One to show what eternal life will be like. So follow me. And the other one is to show, yeah, I am God. You know, I am the son of God. And so when they nail him to the cross on Good Friday, you can actually say that God was killable that day because they didn't, this is not the kind of Messiah that they thought. Yeah. But he didn't stay dead. Did not. All right. Let's see. So this is, I don't know if this is an easy, easy question. But it's something I, I, I think about and I struggle with. Like, how do you know, like when, the, like, when the Holy Spirit is trying to tell you something or get you to do something, how do you differentiate that? You trying to tell yourself that... <laughs> The Holy Spirit is trying to tell you to do something. Well, here again, you know, it's a walk of faith. And so you pray for God's guidance and he'll open doors or close doors. I don't think what, you know, the Christian should do is get into analysis, paralysis and prayer and, you know, pray, 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 pray and wait for something to drop out of the sky because maybe he dropped it out of the sky already. But you follow in faith. So, you know, in Psalm 119, I think it's verse 127 or something like that. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. We just follow. You know, we follow. Yeah, you know, I hear. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I know Lee was trying to say something. That's why. I I was just going to say, I don't, maybe right after college, it's just kind of when I just. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but just like, I'm just going to follow the Holy spirit and I hope it goes the right way. And I just basically kind of, kind of stepped back and just paid attention to the doors that were opening. And like, for me, it was like, I went to work like uh, where I work now. I met a guy that just randomly asked me one day, like, do you want to come play guitar at our church? (laughs) Because I guess he caught wind that I play guitar. And I was like, uh-huh. okay, sure, here we go. And then did that for a while. And then that's where I met my wife. And then, um, mm. like, that's interesting. And now we're here. And there's just been when I just find, and I always try to, she likes to kind of stress out about things a lot. And it's just don't worry. Like, it all works out. Like, yep. I've been doing this experiment for a while and it's, it's turned out pretty yeah. good so far. So, like, everything, like, in, in my life since I've done that, everything just falls into place, like, where it should be. I get what I need when I need it, not when I want it. And just everything just seems to work out yep. in, in some way, shape, or form. And it's just, uh, yeah. yeah. But I always get worried that I'm going to, like, mess with it because I've got my own idea of what I'm supposed to be doing. And, you know, that kind well, of thing. you know, you pray for God's will to be done. We pray that in the Lord's prayer, right? Um, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy will be done. 
So God's will is going to be done without our prayer. <clears throat> but we pray in this petition that his will would be done among me or, you know, us also. Um, he also says, give us this day our daily bread. So, you know, we live day by day in faith. Now, that doesn't mean to be stupid and not plan, but, you know, we can't worry about tomorrow. We just follow. Um, you know, uh, at the end, one of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 46. And in verse 10, it says, be still and know that I am God. We can't worry and worry, worry, worry and wring our hands because what that means in the Hebrew in, in more of a colloquial term, in our modern term, you know, when he says, be still and know that I am God is don't worry. I got this. Don't yeah, worry. That's, that's sort of what I what I was going to say, kind of bouncing off what, what Lee brought up is like, I, in, in so many instances I've met, okay, t to me, and I don't know, correct me if I'm going down, if this is like the wrong idea, but when, when you ask like, how do people know when the Holy Spirit is trying to speak to you? To me, what that says, what like what that means is like, what you were saying, Lee, is kind of be like carefree in the sense that, you know, things are just going to work out in, in the sense of like, if you're kind of like, you know, doing your duty as whatever you are, you know, a father, you know, son, whatever it is, like if you're doing your duty and trying to do right, I think like that to me is like the Holy Spirit speaking to you because you're following in his commandments and trying your best to stay in the parameters. I mean, obviously you're going to fall short of that sometimes, but I like so often there's two things. I It's like, to me, it's like when you try to take so much control of your life, that's like you not listening to the Holy Spirit because I know so many people that are like, well, I need this goal and that goal and this goal met. And they're willing to like, you know, do, you know, things that I just don't, they're, they're not just things that are not right. And to me, that's like not listening to the Lord because you're trying to force your own will. And on top of that, I would also like just another kind of side note is like, I've met people and I guess this is a sort of a question. Like I've met people who are like, oh, the Lord talks to me. Like I literally hear him. I get very like skeptical when people say that because it's like, how do you know that's the Holy Spirit that's actually like physically according to you talking to you? How do you know that's not like someone, you know, the deceiver trying to mimic, you know? Um, so to me, when it's like, let, you know, listen to the Holy Spirit, listen to the Lord, it's like, just kind of go your course and if and try to be happy with it, I guess. But sorry, go ahead. Someone's going to talk. Well, you know, and, and that's where, you know, we need to discern, you know, we, we need to be discerning. How do you but, do that? <laughs> well, that's another one of my questions. <laughs> well, you know, it, you just go, okay, what is God's will? Well, you know, we know what the commandments are. You know, we know about this. We know about that. You know, we follow God's will. So I wanted to be, you know, and God, and like you said, Lee, you know, had, had this fella not come to you, you wouldn't have met your wife. Well, you know, just know that God has everything worked out and in, and we can't work out everything perfectly. You take a look at Noah, you, you know, you take a look at Abraham, you take a look at any human in the Bible, King David, you know, they've blown it, but God still works through it. And, you know, when I meet people who get very stressed or anxious because they're worrying that they're, they may not be doing or following the Lord's will, that's where you just take a step back and go, Cast it at the foot of the cross, you know, cast all your anxiety upon him because he really does care for you is what it says in first Peter. Um, you know, he really does care about you and we're not going to lead the perfect, you know, we're not going to make all the perfect choices, but you know, it's just be still and know I got this, you know, um, right. 
because getting too worried is a sin. Um, getting too anxious and not doing anything is a sin. And so it's like, and it'll looking, shorten your lifespan. <laughs> yeah. Stress, stress kills you. I'm the king of worries. Okay. And the more kids we had, the more I worried, right? I still worry. Yeah. Right. And so, uh, but I got to stop worrying and, you know, it's okay to be concerned, but you know, ultimately it's, you know, uh, it, it's all in God's hands and we just live faith filled every day that way. I don't know if I'm making sense or not. Yeah. And I think sometimes people got to realize, you know, when you say God's will be done, you got to mean it. Not God's, not my will be done or God's will be done. That kind of fits with what I want. Like right. you have to be willing God's to accept. accept that, I want. <laughs> yeah. It, you have to be willing to accept that his will may not coincide with yours and you have to, yeah, it's hard to, for people to accept that, but you have to do. Which that. I think is like a big part of why, again, this is kind of like analogous just for my own personal conversations with people. I think that's a big reason why people don't believe. Like I've heard, for instance, I was talking to someone, someone who actually, who I used to date and she said something like, oh, you know, I went to church like a few times. But then what threw her off was that, they, you know, she went, she had like a break, you know, they have like breakout sessions. I forget what are the, like small groups. She was in yeah. like a small group session and th at the end they prayed. And I guess one of the girls had been studying hard for like a test and she got like an A on it. And so she said in her prayer, like, thanks for like basically allowing me to like, thanks for the A is basically what she was saying. Like, thanks for like doing that. Now I'm like going to go to college and what this person told me was like, well, that, I thought that was so stupid because like, she's the one that studied, she got herself in that position. And it's like, and so that turned her off completely. And she was like, this is dumb. I'm, I'm not about it. And it's like, <laughs> you gotta like acknowledge that like, yeah, she has like, she, you know, in an earthly world, like she got herself there, but like that brain wasn't her making her, you know, her interest in that topic wasn't her doing like, it was all scripted before she got there so it's like i get where, where this person was coming from she's like that doesn't make any sense like she's the one who helped herself it's like yeah but like she wouldn't have been in that position if it weren't for god so it's yeah. just kind of a side note but yeah Alrighty, i think my last like question i had down and i'll i'll phrase it kind of what i was thinking when i wrote this question down it was the question about like why do Protestant churches kind of ignore saints? Yeah. And, and I don't mean in like the, like, you know, the beef that Luther had with the Catholic church and they're right. not that, but more so like, um, I guess maybe like the writings, like, like I feel like they're, they're useful to read, but I've never ever heard anybody mention reading that, but then they'll turn around and say, read this Max Licato or whatever modern day person. Just, just curious on that. So are you talking, uh, are you talking about St. Days or what? No, I'm talking about, uh, like I'm reading confessions by St. Augustine. Yep. Like, like, I, I've been, never been pointed in that direction. Like that just came from, from elsewhere. Is, like, is there a reason like we just don't even mention them or. Well, you are know, they just too hard to read or something? 
Well, you know, I, I wasn't sure what you had meant by that originally. Um, but there are, let me find some of this. Um, we do observe Saint Days. And um, what is, is that a person or like, are you saying like the days of the saints? Let me, f- let me find this. The church, hang on a sec. I mean, you know, there, there are different saint days, um, you know, um, like November 30th is oh, um, I see. Okay. festival of St. Andrew. Um, you know, uh, the 21st coming up here, December 21st is St. Thomas. Uh, you know, so th- there are saints in the church that we observe, but we just don't do it a lot in the Protestant church. There was a time when those days were days that people came to church. Our culture has changed. So, you know, when, when you're talking about that, Lee, um, you know, we, we do have them and the days are set. Um, in fact, there's even one for, you know, uh, Mary, the mother of our Lord, and, you know, Lutherans get all bent out of shape because of, oh, that's so Catholic, that's so Catholic. It's like, <laughs> well, well, wait a sec. You know, there's only one mother yeah, she is of part our of Lord. Story, like. <laughs> and it just happens to be Mary, you know. So, you know, we can't get too bent out of shape. Um, but, yeah, there's all kinds of saint days that can be observed. And um, I know when I was in Kentucky, uh, if a saint day landed on a Sunday, I would observe that day. So like this Sunday, uh, this year, um, you know, we got, this is the dreaded year where you got to go to church three days in a row if you want to be a good Christian, because Friday is going to be Christmas Eve, Saturday is Christmas Day, and then Sunday is the 26th, (laughs) which is the first Sunday after Christmas. But the 26th is also St. Stephen's Day, and he was the first Christian martyr. So, um, you know, I could this year, I, you know, since it landed on a Sunday, cause you're not going to get people to come throughout the rest of the week for all these different saint days when they land on a Monday through Saturday. But this, this year I could observe, uh, St. Stephen, the martyr day. Two days but later. Why isn't it like promoted to, to like look into those saints, like what they've written? Well, a lot I guess of these, it depends. I don't think all of them were writers. Right. Not all of them were writers. Um, mm, you know, okay. the saints of the Christian church are like, for instance, on December 27th is St. John the Apostle and Evangelist Day. And then the 28th in the Christian church is uh, the observance of the Holy Innocents. So there's a lot of these kind of saints days from Bible times. Now, when you're talking about like St. Augustine and uh, uh, Eusebius and some of these early church fathers like, you know, Clement and some of those other ones, there's a lot of great writings from early church fathers. You can read them. Yeah, I guess that that was just, yeah, it's just I had never heard of them. And I don't know if it's just I just assumed like in the Lutheran church, it was kind of, you know, it's a touchy subject. So it's not. I don't know. They just weren't prominent. Like I've never heard any of those names prior to not too long ago. Just well, never did. It just never came up. And maybe, maybe I, I don't know. I was just curious as to why that was like, maybe I just wasn't paying attention. <laughs> well, no. And, and, you know, uh, here again, when I was in Kentucky, I wasn't 
as much into the history of stuff. But, you know, there's, if you want early church history, um, the best early church history is by a guy named Eusebius. He was an early uh, sort of church father. He's, he's the most complete historian that we have up to that point. And that went up to like 304 AD is I think when he died. But <clears throat> you can find out a lot about him. And, you know, some will call him St. Eusebius. Some, you know, I mean, there, there's different things, but like Eusebius and some of these early church fathers like Augustine, you know, they call him St. Augustine. Okay. Uh, Clement and a lot of these other guys. There's all, you know, um, there's all, if you want more on that, just let me know. Cause I, I can get you some names of stuff. I'll just throw them at me. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, anything in the early church fathers. Let me um, let me go to my library here on my computer. Because um, I read that in St. Ephraim. Something by him, I believe. <laughs> okay, so you've got different church fathers. So you got the Nicene and the Anti, the before Nicene um, church fathers. Pull this up. Um, let me just see some here. So you got like St. Clement, mm -hmm. uh, Methetus, Polycarp. He's a good one. Polycarp, um, if I remember, Polycarp was a direct disciple of John, uh, the one who wrote Revelation and stuff. Oh. And so he would be, I believe Polycarp <laughs> is that. So he would have been a student of John's. And so he would have the most direct understanding of, you know, from the apostles because he learned from John. You got St. Ignatius and, you know, Barnabas, which is a different Barnabas from the Bible. Papias, Justin the Martyr. Uh, Arrhenius, I-R-E. Um, let me see. Um, you know, and then, and then you're going further on into the century. So Clement of, uh, Alexandria, um, Tatian, T-A-T-I-A-N. Um, I mean, there's, I mean, there's a ton of them, Lee, you know, Hippot yeah. uh, Hippolytus, Cyprian, Cassius. So, I mean, if you want to start with some stuff, you could start with, you know, I would say Eusebius would be a good one to start with. And you can get an edition of it. I think you can, I've got it, uh, an E edition as well, but it's uh, Eusebius, which is E-U-S-E-B like in boy, I-U-S. And it's called the Church History. And I would get the translation. This is by one of our, uh, Lutheran scholars, Paul Meyer, M-A-I-E-R. And um, I've got the audio version that I listened to when I was walking, and then I got the hard copy. And there might be an e-copy as well, but there's all kinds of great um, <clears throat> pictures, you know, archaeological stuff, all kinds of things in there. And that would be a very good place to start because he does include some of these church... Uh, earlier church leaders like Dionysus of Alexandria and, you know, other things in there. So that would be a good place to start as a primary resource. All right. It's next on my list. Well, and 
I'll tell you, he goes into what was the persecution? Why did these come up? What was Nero about? You know, why did the Christians get persecuted? And, you know, Nero persecuted Christians. I mean, you know, a lot of things I teach us in the seventh and eighth grade religion class at our school, you know, everybody thinks Christianity is, you know, a really flowery religion or it's, you know, just one of those different things. And, you know, oh, it's just one among many. These people in the early church were dying for their faith. And so like Nero, for instance, uh, what year was Nero? Was that like in 70s or 60s or something like that? You know, he would take these Christians and he'd tie them up, he'd tar them and then light them alive on fire. Yeah, I'm reading about Polycarp and he was a martyr, I guess he, yeah. he, and he was, uh, he, yeah, they lit him on fire and his body didn't get consumed by the fire. So they stabbed him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's correct. Where, where he didn't fully die. And so they killed him. But I mean, you know, uh, Eusebius goes into this and it's, uh, some of it is very graphic. Um, you know, for our standards today, like he'll go through and he'll talk about where there was a famine throughout the land and it was so bad, you know, where, uh, the Roman, you know, army was coming in and there was a Christian lady. Uh, I think she was a Christian lady who was eating her baby. Hmm. That things were so bad for the Christians. So that's a very good book to, to get if you want to find out what it was like. All right. Cool. All about it. And get the Paul Meyer edition, M-A-I-E-R. And the publisher is... Craigle, K-R-E-G-E-L. Okay. Yeah. It's probably going to run about 40 bucks for the book. Copyright 1999. All right. Cool. It's fine too reading. Is it, I say Augustine. Is it August? Augustine? Am I saying that one wrong? It depends on, on what side <laughs> of the fence you're on. You know, it can be Augustine or Augustine. I happen to go either way, whatever it comes out of my mouth. But he was a uh, he was very important to Luther's understanding of things, because he's reading his stuff. He was dealing with the same problems we deal with now. <laughs> That's the funny part; like it never changes. Everything's the same under the sun, ain't it? <laughs> all right. So that's all of my official questions. Okie dokie. I hope our listeners helpful. have some reading they can do as well. Sure. And if you want yeah. me on for the sacraments or anything like that, hey, I love that stuff. Yeah, I I'm think sure a lot we'll of people like this episode. So, yes, we will. Is there <laughs> anything uh, you wanted to plug or anything like that? I would plug, you know, I don't know when you're going to, um, you know, air this, but Christmas is coming. Remember, the real Christmas spirit is the spirit of the Christ child born in Bethlehem's manger. Uh, let us not lose sight of the baby born in Bethlehem, because that's God in the flesh, Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so he's still with us today. And uh, enjoy the uh, Advent season leading up to Christmas and uh, the Christmas season that follows after. There are 12 days of Christmas. So December 25th through January 5th. All right. That's probably the best plug you can give. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So that'll do it. I'll ask you to stick around though for, for purposes. Um, yeah, yeah. Don't hang up. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, no. it's how our it's how our system works. But yeah, um, so yeah, that was fun having him on. Thanks for coming. And um, if you have any questions, dybpodcast at gmail If he ever comes back on, we will ask him those. If you got 
good ones. Don't give us the easy ones. So give us give us the real hard ones. <laughs> but yeah, that's all I got. Much love to y'all. Thanks for listening. Later, guys. Bye.